Welcome to episode number 57 of the Road to Cinema podcast, featuring the Oscar-winning editor of Whiplash, Tom Cross, as well as one of the editors of the new David O. Russell film Joy, starring Jennifer Lawrence and Robert De Niro, as well as Bradley Cooper, which opens in theaters on Christmas Day. We'll discuss Tom's collaboration with director David O. Russell, as well as fellow editors on Joy, Jay Cassidy and Alan Baumgarten. Also, Tom's process for editing Whiplash, directed by Damien Chazelle and starring Miles Teller and J.K. Simmons, and the film which won Tom Cross at Best Editing Oscar at last year's Academy Awards. We'll have great insights into Tom's editing process and collaboration with directors David O. Russell and Damien Chazelle. And we'll also learn about Damien Chazelle's new film, which is also being edited by Tom Cross, La La Land, which stars Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. For more information on the Road to Cinema podcast, to read the Road to Cinema blog, and to watch our Road to Cinema YouTube series, please visit jogroadproductions.com. And don't forget, you still have a chance to win a free download of the final draft screenwriting software by doing all of the above. Follow us on Twitter at jogroad, like us on Facebook, Jog Road Productions, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Jog Road Productions, write us a nice review on the iTunes podcast page for the Road to Cinema podcast. And follow us on Instagram at Jog Road Productions. Do all of the above and you'll have a chance to win a free download of the Final Draft screenwriting software brought to you by Road to Cinema and our friends at Final Draft. And now we join the Oscar-winning editor of Whiplash, Tom Cross, and his new film Joy, directed by David O. Russell and starring Jennifer Lawrence, Robert De Niro, and Bradley Cooper, Opens in theaters on Christmas Day. Going back to the beginning of your career as an editor, is there anything that you learned that you think are sort of essential lessons that have sticked with you today when you're working on a feature film? Um, you know, I've uh, I've I started my career in in commercials uh, in New York City. I was an assistant editor at a commercial editing house, and um, because I worked in New York, I. I, I worked in a lot of different genres um, because I think when you're in New York, you kind of take what you can get. And so I worked in documentary, TV promos, uh, uh, industrials, reality TV, uh, fashion videos, um, just about, just about everything. Um, And I think, you know, I think a lot of the lessons were kind of the same regardless of the genre, you know, early on in um, working in commercials, uh, I remember uh, talking with uh, an older editor, and um, I forget exactly his words, but he, he basically, um, he was a very well-liked uh, person, and uh, uh, very easy to get along with, very, very kind of magnetic, and very smart. And, um, you know, he reminded me that uh, a lot of, what we do is put people at ease and, uh, you know, and, um, and be diplomatic and be, and be generous and be giving and be supportive. And, uh, and if you do a lot of that stuff, uh, you know, you, you get, it, it pays, it pays back, it pays dividends. And, uh, and, you know, I, I think it may have been, I think when he said that, it may have been in the context of, of someone making a mistake or something like that, someone screwing up something and getting into trouble. And I think, I, I think his, um, he was looking at the situation from afar and, and basically saying, you know, 
you know, people get to know you and they like you, um, at some point, you know, you, you're going to, no one's perfect, you're going to make a mistake, but if they know you and they like you, they're going to say, oh, it's, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's you, he's going to fix it or something like that. And so what I remember uh, early on from that was just that, um, you know, was just that a lot of what we do in the editing room is very, um, has to do with uh, our people skills. You know, it doesn't just have to do with film editing. And, um, you know, when I, when I went to film school and, you know, started working on my own films and, and helping other students work on their films, it really wasn't about people skills. It was, it was more about, you know, learning a craft and, and really, um, you know, kind of uh, burying myself in that. And so that was a real eye opener. And, and I have to say, you know, working through um, getting into the television world and, and moving into features, assisting and additional editing and now editing, you know, so much of the job is, is about, um, is about diplomacy and it's about, um, you know, how you carry yourself and how you, and how you support, you know, your filmmakers. Um, that, that counts for so much. Um, so I, I think if there was, if there was one big thing that I remember from the beginning, that's kind of threaded through everything I've done. It's it's, uh, it's that thought. Yeah, is it important also um, to learn sort of the collaboration process between yourself and a director, yourself even with uh, producers? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, you know, again, all the the lessons I learned working in commercials and working with editors and working with um, agency people, clients, creative producers. Um, you know, I, I learned that, you know, you really, um, you really want to, uh, you know, create a place in your editing room, uh, where, where everyone feels like their ideas are important and, um, then there's a certain level of trust, you know, and, um, and I, you know, it's it's uh, again. I think it's it doesn't matter what the genre is. I think it's kind of the same all around. And and definitely, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I've encountered a lot of editors who are brilliant editors and they're great storytellers. But you know, um, but you know, in some cases, they, and they'll admit it, they don't like people. You know, they like to be left alone to work in in their editing rooms and uh and i think for some people that works really well and for other people um that doesn't work so well so um i, I have a feeling that you know uh, i mean when i i started when i was an assistant editor there was still film and so i i do come from a film background but i know i know even you know before me um and certainly in the studio days you know um directors often weren't in the editing room at all so uh i think you know, there were entire generations of film editors who, um, who may have been good with people and gregarious, but I think a lot of them were used to working, um, you know, with, with almost complete autonomy, you know. Um, they would do their process, which would take a certain amount of time because it was on film, and, um, and that was expected, and then they would run the movie in, in the screening room and get notes from the director, get notes from the producer, and then kind of go back to the cutting room and that would be kind of repeated, but it's very different from what we what we often have today, you know? 
Yeah, transitioning, um, you mentioned that you had worked on film, transitioning from working on film to learning uh, computer editing software. Uh, was there a big learning curve there? And, and for you, what do you think was sort of the biggest uh, creative difference between working on film as opposed to working on a computer? Um, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I started when I went to um, film school, it was 16 millimeter and uh, and, of course, when I was a kid, I, I used to shoot little Super 8 movies and stuff like that. I, I you know, it was, um, it was, uh, it was kind of all I knew. And uh, video editing existed, but it was really pretty um, uh, limited, and uh, at least in comparison to film editing, because film editing was nonlinear, whereas, you know, video editing at the time was, was um, tape-based, it was linear. Um, and, uh, so, so we had some video editing stuff when I went to film school, but uh, very few people were interested in it. They really gravitated towards film. And, um, and so when I first got, you know, um, when I was looking for a job, I was, I was looking for a job right on the cusp of, of, of the big shift, you know? So my first job in New York city was, um, as I mentioned, working for a commercial editing company, and that was all cutting on Abbott. And I, I didn't have any knowledge of the Avid other than I knew that that's where things were headed. And I was just dying to, uh, you know, get hired there because I knew this was the future. So I, um, so even though I learned film in, in, um, in college, I got this job at this commercial editing company and they had eight or nine Avids, which at the time, uh, was very expensive and, uh, no other places really, um, you know, had Avids, and uh, and they still had film too. They had film negative that uh, you know, that um, that the assistant editors would still handle. So, you know, it was a very um, interesting situation because uh, you know, in the editing rooms, all the editors were cutting up Avid, and across the hallway in the assistant editors' rooms, um, we still had film benches, and we had um, we would handle the film negative. And we actually had um, cement splicers to um, splice the negative together, and so um, so it was. It was you really like literally across the hall. You had these two different worlds, and uh, and um, for me, I guess I, I you know I very quickly got into avid editing, you know, um, through my commercial job, and so. The transition wasn't really hard for me, even though I started on film. It, it, it happened. The transition happened pretty early in my professional career, so um, I would say that I, I kind of was. I was very lucky in that way. I wasn't. I, I hadn't been doing film professionally for that long, so I wasn't really. Uh, you know, um, I didn't have enough time to to create a comfort zone that that you know was going to be shattered by a new digital revolution. So I, I kind of jumped on board the Avid thing pretty quickly. And uh, in fact, um, Avid and um, commercial, my commercial background is kind of what got me into features because I um, ended up um, uh, assisting um, editor Tim Squires on some commercials that he was editing in between Ang Lee features. And, um, and, uh, he, he basically was, he was cutting these commercials and he, 
needed an experienced assistant editor who was um, who had a background in commercials and uh, uh, through some professional connections, you know, I got hooked up with him and uh, you know, and it's really because of my commercial background and my skills with Avid and my knowledge of um, modern, you know, uh, commercial workflows that that we kind of connected, and then he brought me on to his next film, which was a little indie movie. But that was my first union job. So, so all of that, um, you know, and, and then on that film with Tim Squires, we had um, he was cutting on Avid, but we still had a 35 millimeter work print, um, and we still sunk film daily. So I think he appreciated that that I, as an assistant, had skills in both um, realms, um, and that was a time where a lot of um, assistant editors or editorial departments were kind of getting divided. There were some assistants who didn't have much of a film background at all, and they would just focus on uh, Avid. And then you had the film assistants who, who, who knew film. And uh, I was fortunate that I kind of knew both. And I think that helped, you know, that certainly helped me get some early jobs and helped me, you know, helped me get hooked up with Tim Squires, who was kind of an early uh, inspiration. Yeah, I was curious, um, today, do you use Avid for the most part when you're editing a feature film? Today, I, I definitely use Avid. Um, I've, I've pretty much used Avid since I started as an assistant editor in the, in the mid-90s. Um, that, that's really my big background. So I'm kind of, um, you know, that is my comfort zone. For other people, in the old days, it was film. Um, for other people, it's Final Cut. For other people, it's, you know, it's Avid. And for me, it's Avid. So that, that's what I learned on um, I tried different systems along the way. There were other little systems like that don't even exist anymore, I don't think. Division and uh, um, and I do remember um, I do remember cutting some small projects on Final Cut, um, which I which I thought was which I liked, um, but it wasn't. You know, I, I don't think I did enough professional work on it to really get comfortable with it. So um, and then of course every time I assisted on projects, TV or film. Um, you know, I think 99.9% of the time, uh, the editors I was working with were cutting on Avid and so, for whatever reason. So, uh, so you know, I kind of, um, you know, existed in an Avid-centric world, and I, I use Avid today. Um, I was curious, sort of delving into your process, when you're in the early stages of talking with a director uh, about a particular project, do you read the script and give notes as far as sort of how you may see the film being executed or anything editorially that you think might be simplified or sort of work better in the production process? Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely. I mean, everything, everything kind of starts with the script. And so when I'm um, considering a, a job, I always, uh, I always want to read the script and I always want to know who's going to be in it. And I always like to know who the director is and who and what their work is. And so, um, you know, there has to be, for me, there has to be something exceptional about uh, something in at least one of those areas. Uh, maybe if, you know, if the script has problems, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a complete disaster because certainly scripts evolve. And if you have a brilliant filmmaker, um, uh, and you feel like you're in competent hands, that may be reason enough to, to do the project. It depends. You know, sometimes um, you'll have, if there's a great actor in it or something like that, you know, like I, I remember 
um, like my first uh, solo feature editing job, uh, a film called The Space Between, um, I got sent a script and I knew that it was going to star Melissa Leo. And that was a huge um, plus for me. You know, I was, I, I really was interested when I heard that Melissa Leo was going to be in the project. And then I read the script and I thought it was a fantastic script. And then I really wanted to do the film. Um, but so it's, it's, it's really, it really starts in those areas, you know? And uh, so in the case of Whiplash, um, I got sent the feature script for Whiplash, even though there was no money to do the feature. Um, these, uh, this producer, Cooper Samuelson, who I worked with in the past as an assistant editor, he was going to produce, and um, he was going to produce Whiplash as a short in order to try to get financing for the feature. Um, but, they, but there already was a feature script, so he, he sent me the script, and I read it, and I thought it was amazing. I mean, I thought it was like the best script that I had ever read. And, and so I told him I would love to meet the director, you know. And, um, and apparently, and I was told that the director was interested in meeting me because I had done some additional editing on two films for James Gray, We on the Night and Two Lovers. And, uh, uh, and the director, Damien Chazelle, the writer-director of Whiplash, uh, is a big James Gray fan. And so he was immediately intrigued um, and interested in meeting me. And so um, when I met him, um, I did what I usually do, which is I really um, try to um, I really try to tell the director, you know, uh, what I really loved about his approach, what I really loved about the script, and 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 you know, and how I, I might approach it. But I, I, I I'm honest with him, but uh, you know, I also want to leave room for what his or her vision is. So, um, so I do, you know, come with ideas about how things might be, um, might be shot or might be put together, but I really don't lay on too thick with that because I really, um, because especially if I don't know the director, I really want to see what, what they're all about and, you know, what they want to do. So, so I do come armed with thoughts and ideas, but, but, um, but I also, um, really try to be a good listener um, in these situations in these meetings. So, you know, um, when Damien spoke about how he wanted to approach the film and, you know, what sort of style he wanted on it, um, we kind of immediately hit it off because, uh, you know, he uh, said that he wanted to do this music movie but not have it feel like a, um, a music movie that people would expect you know, he didn't want it to just feel like um, a light-hearted um, movie about band camp. You know, he said that he wanted the music scenes to feel um, hard and brutal. Um, he wanted the rehearsing and the practicing to feel like an athlete training. Um, he wanted to feel kind of the sweat and the blood on the drums, you know. I mean, his big reference for Whiplash was, was uh, Martin Scorsese's Raging Bull. So he said he wanted the editing style. Um, and, and to be like Thelma Schoonmaker's editing. He wanted the, the, um, the music scenes to feel like the boxing scenes from Raging Bull. So that meant brutal, ferocious, uh, fast. Uh, so, you know, he, when he started talking about that, he, he really talked, he spoke about specifics. And he spoke about, you know, having, you know, cuts at right angles and, uh, you know, 
having a certain amount of velocity. And he, it was clear that he really loved editing in certain movies. And, um, um, and so I was, I was immediately, um, thrilled by that. And, uh, and, you know, I really left that meeting feeling like, oh my God, this is like, I can't wait to work on this project with this director. You know, um, the script is amazing. It's got amazing people involved, J.K. Simmons, Johnny Simmons. Um, and now he just told me his pitch for the style and the approach. And it's exactly what, you know, what I would, what I would hope to do. So, so, um, so in terms of, you know, that, that was kind of one of, one of the most exciting um, interviews, meetings for a film that I've ever had. And, um, you know, I'm so happy to say that, that when he shot the film, he, he, the, even the short and the feature, he delivered on um, what he had intended to do. Um, that is to say, he shot all the material um, that we would need to implement the style that he was pitching. Um, and that doesn't always happen. I was curious, um, when you received the footage um, to start editing, uh, what was your impression of it? Because it's so visceral when you look at the shots and whiplash. You know, you, you feel like you're in the room. You feel like you're really in the mind of Miles Teller. Um, well, the, the footage was all pretty amazing. And, and it was kind of a miracle that um, they shot it in the amount of time um, they had. You know, it was like a, something like a 19-day shoot or something. And... Um, and not only was he able to capture these amazing performances, which in my mind is the most important part of Whiplash, and that's why Whiplash works, performances by J.K. Simmons and Miles Teller, but he was also able to get all the, all the kind of um, detail and all the window dressing um, and texture uh, that makes Whiplash what it is. And that, uh, what I mean by that is he was able to get all this insert of, uh, of drums and sweat and blood and all these wonderful, beautiful angles um, somehow in that schedule. Um, so, you know, when I was seeing the dailies, the da some of the dailies were really visceral, you know? I mean, you have these, you have these kind of, um, um, you know, these macro shots and all that stuff is very um, beautiful, but... Um, but the performances and the scenes that the actors um, had a visceral, um, hard, brutal quality to them, you know. So even even when they were, um, even when the footage was not cut, uh, the stuff felt very powerful, you know. Um, I mean, you could you could really you, in some cases you could probably stand a take and, and it would be pretty brutal. But you know that was never the plan or never the design, you know. That Damien had in mind, um, but uh, but you know it was um, it was kind of um, it was the dailies were kind of uh, near perfect in some ways. You know, I mean, it wasn't. We really didn't have to. Um, um, 
we helped we helped the footage with the with um with the rhythm and the tempo of the editing, keeping it um you know just fast enough that you know the audience had to just keep up with it, you know, or had or, or had had a hard time to keep up with it a little bit. That was part of um, Damien's plan. It's part of his um, design. But um, but the dailies are pretty amazing. So um, I think the big challenge with Whiplash was really the schedule. Was really um, was really the the race with the clock. You know, because we started shooting um, in early September, um, and you know it was a very short shoot, which meant that I. You know, and I was on during the shoot. I was not on location, but I was editing and assembling the picture while he shot it. So he had a short shoot, which meant which meant that I had very little time to put the whole movie together, because I like to have a whole cut of the movie done about a week after they wrap principal photography. Um, but then we had to submit to Sundance for Sundance consideration in early November. So um, so we had very little time to get that together. And um, and then we knew that if we got accepted in Sundance, uh, we'd have to finish the film, color time, mix, everything would have to be done at a certain time in early December so that we could play Sundance in January. So it was it, that was the biggest challenge of Whiplash in a way. Um, he was Damien was very well prepared um, going into the shoot. We were all very well prepared. Um, I had. Uh, and my assistant editor as well, John Toe, we both had um, a certain amount of experience doing music movies. I had worked on the movie Crazy Heart uh, with Jeff Bridges. And so we were, and we had worked, John Toe, my assistant and I had worked on this movie Any Day Now, which had a lot of music scenes with Ellen coming. And um, so we both were pretty well versed in dealing with uh, pre recorded music um, and. Uh, um, and how to shoot it, how to organize it in the avid. And so we were very well prepared. Damien had storyboarded the entire movie. Um, he, had, he had drawn these sort of crude storyboards himself um, of every scene. And some of the music scenes, including the caravan finale at the end, he had actually drawn these little storyboards and then um, shot them with his phone uh, and put them to music himself. And so we basically had animatics for a couple a couple big music scenes, such as the end. And all of this stuff I used to help, you know, it, it, it was there to help me assemble and put the movie together. Um, and some of the stuff was very close to what he storyboarded. Um, and then other stuff, the storyboards were a good starting point, or even the animatics were a good starting point, like at the end, for example. But then we really had, he and I had to really get in there and work closely together, and, and, and then it really took off emotionally, you know. So, um, but it definitely helped that he um, had a very clear vision for the movie ahead of time. And, um, you know, and, and then, and then you know, he was very well prepared, so he knew what to shoot and, you know, how we wanted to put together. You know, it never, it never comes together... Uh, identical to that stuff because there's certain organic things when you shoot when you shoot performances um, that happens um, and so you know uh, a big a big example of that is is um, the scenes that comprise the short film of Whiplash uh, short film was with J.K. Simmons. 
him to Johnny Simmons. And uh, we worked on that together and got that to a certain place where we were very happy with it. And then flash forward a year later, we, um, we were doing feature and Damien reshot those scenes. Um, they're pretty close to what they were in the short, but he tried to shoot them the same way. And, um, and, uh, and he wanted me to edit them the same way. So, um, yeah, those scenes, uh, were, uh, scenes where he said, okay, well, here's your reference, you know, just use the short. And so I used the short and I cut those scenes together and those scenes really didn't work at all. Um, they just felt mechanical and, um, there was no tension. There was no suspense. The character of Fletcher wasn't scary. The character of Andrew didn't seem like he was very frightened. Um, and so those scenes, um, the rushing or dragging scene, uh, and the scene before it where Fletcher kicks out, um, a band member who plays a wrong note, um, those scenes I had to completely recut, you know, and, uh, Damon and I had to work on that and, and, um, figure out what worked best for those particular performances and that footage, you know, because there's just something organic, uh, again, when, when you, when you shoot material, um, where you really have to custom cut it to that footage, you know, and it, 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 that should come as no surprise in a way, but we had, we had worked and reworked the short film to a place where we really were happy with it and figured, well, you know, we've, we've answered all the questions, here are all the answers, you know, but we were wrong. So, um, you know, we really had to, um, we really had to kind of pull out every trick in the book to, to, um, to make, scenes the feature work and it wasn't because the performances weren't good the performances were great miles teller was uh, fantastic in that scene jk simmons is is amazing in that scene um but they're just it's different performances it's different photography even when they tried to match the angles it's just different so um that was a big lesson um to both of us uh about you know falling in love with um with the way something was cut before, it's almost like falling in love with temp music, you know. Um, but we, we, you know, we rediscovered the scenes and we, we, we took them apart and we completely rebuilt them. And finally, we got them to a place where we felt like we had kind of exercised the, the ghost of the short. Yeah, I was curious um, about editing to music, um, especially for the sequences in Whiplash. Did you begin editing them silently or was the music or some sort of temp music always there while you were cutting them together? Um, you know, in the case of most of the scenes in Whiplash, I definitely um, edited with music. And and a lot of that is because of the way Damien shoots these scenes. And, and we're encountering that now with um, his new film, La La Land, which has a lot of musical sequences. Um, you know, in the case of Whiplash, um, most of the big scenes, such as Caravan at the end, were shot to a pre-recorded uh, music track. And what that means is that uh, they, the music is created before shooting starts. And when they shoot the scene from all the different angles, they use the same track of music that they play back on loudspeakers. And sometimes they play them back into uh, earwigs that the actors wear. Um, but either way, the actors 
actors and musicians are are playing on screen on camera to match the music that they are hearing you know so um you know, in some cases they're pantomiming, in some cases they're pl- they literally are playing, but they're just playing on top of this music that they're listening to. And that's the way, you know, music scenes have been done in Hollywood movies for years, ever since the, you know, um, ever since uh, at the beginning, uh, probably the beginning of sound, when they first had um, started having scenes of musical uh, numbers in them. So um, it gives you the most control, and it makes editing... Um, much easier in some ways. So, I, the way Damien shoots these things, you know, he really plans a lot of camera moves and certain um, things to happen at, at very specific moments in the song. So, it really, um, it's very well planned out. So, it, you really have to cut to the music. You know, you have to cut with the music because, um, you know, you see, you hear a certain um, moment happen in the song, and then you have you have your footage, and you can see camera-wise what's supposed to happen at that very moment. It's, it, some things are, are fairly obvious, not everything, but there are a lot of things that are pre-planned like that. And and you know the way we the way my assistant editor organizes this stuff is really great because. Um, um, it can be very overwhelming to have all this uh, footage, mountain of footage, um, and uh, and have to keep everything in sync. So the secret of doing that for for us was really to uh, to um, to know that you know you have a single pre-recorded track that is basically your common denominator, you know, and all almost all of your footage is subservient to that. All of the footage is shot to that same piece of music, so they all have basically they all have something in common. And when they have something in common, it means that you can lock them or group them or sync them all together. And that's the goal. That's what you want to do. Um, and so, um, you know, you can't always do that. In you can't always organize it, sync it all, so that they're all in one group. But but essentially, you have them all all locked together in 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 some sort of form. And so what that means is when you're editing in the timeline, you can basically, um, at the click of a button, you can you can see what other editing, what other picture options you have. You can switch your cameras um, in the Avid timeline. And even though they might be different takes and different setups, they're all, um, they're all in sync same music track, so it's kind of a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful and overwhelming thing, because you can um, look in your timeline and say, oh, I see I've got, you know, I've got what would equal 20 cameras on this on this one part of the song, you know? Um, so, but it's all there, and it's all in sync, and um, and, you know, that's, that's a, that's, that's a huge help when you're you know, when you're trying to, like, um, kind of wrangle a mountain full of footage uh, for a music scene. Um, and, you know, I'm not even, I'm not sure how you would do it otherwise. But, um, but you know, when, when I'm looking at the footage for a music scene, I'm just looking at the dailies. I'll watch, I, I, you know, you, I watch everything. Um, you can see, 
you can get a lot of his intention just by just by looking at the dailies and, and and taking note of, of certain camera moves and things like that. You know, it, it it becomes it becomes pretty obvious. You know, when I look at some of Damien's footage, I say, oh, okay, he wants he's gonna this is this is what this shot, what this angle is for, is just for this one moment, this two second moment of the camera pushing in on the drums or pushing in on the hands. Okay, I see. And the rest of the shot is basically probably useless, you know. Um, and it's not to say he'll shoot the entire song and film it good for that one little moment. Sometimes there are things like that, but, but often he'll just shoot pieces, you know, um, and they're supposed to sync up to, to a certain moment in the song. But, you know, working with Damien on, on Caravan, you know, the finale of Whiplash, I followed all of his animatics and his storyboards and, um, and tried to fill in the blanks the best I could. And he and I started working on it together, and it really didn't have any shape at all. It was purely mechanical. And the big thing we discovered was that um, our scene was missing our characters. We had a lot of great camera moves. We had a lot of fast, quickly cut insert shots. It had a lot of um, it had a lot of you know muscle and it was very bombastic, but it didn't really have any um, storytelling value. And so the thing we discovered was that um, we really needed to add more shots of J.K. Simmons, and more shots of Miles Teller, and more shots of them looking at one another and relating to one another. And that's when that scene really began to um, work for us. That's when it really began to sing. Um, otherwise, it really didn't have any soul. And, and a big thing that Damien and I talked about was, because uh, we're both kind of movie lovers, um, we love all sorts of movies, and uh, we, sometimes we have similar tastes, but, you know, we talked about, um, we talked about that famous scene from uh, William Friedkin's The French Connection, uh, Car Chase, uh, which was uh, edited by Jerry Greenberg, amazing uh, legendary film editor, and um, and we discussed how the, the how that scene worked, and, and you know what we came up with was that um, you had this amazing, ferocious sort of violent scene, um, but that it was it was really made um, emotional by the performance of its you know lead actor Gene Hackman, and so. Um, you know, that, that was kind of a, uh, that scene from that movie was really kind of a case study of how to cut action, you know, and the big lesson there is to um, always center the action around your characters. And so um, we thought about that movie and, um, you know, we, 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 didn't, we didn't intend to um, uh, match that movie in, in cutting style or anything like that. It wasn't about that, but it reminded us that um, that our scene was probably going to get its power from um, the characters and, and, and their arcs during the scene and also how the characters related to one another. So, um, you know, so what we found is, is when we, when we uh, showed one character starting at the scene from a certain place and, and getting to a different place by the end, um, that's when the scene really had a certain amount of power. 
Yeah, in um, in looking at Joy, um, you know, which has some phenomenal performances in it, uh, Robert De Niro, Jennifer Lawrence, of course, Virginia Madsen, um, and looking at it too, compared to David O. Russell's other films, there seems to be more of sort of a playing around with structure and flashbacks and voiceover. Um, so I was curious, approaching that film, if that evolved in the editing process, or was a lot of that in the script? Um, you know, a little bit of both um, on David's movie. You know, um, it's it's funny you mentioned about, you know, reading a script or how you prepare for, um, you know, what you look for when you take a job. I mean, I, I was contacted by uh, producer John Davis, um, about possibly working on on Joy with with David or Russell, and I once I got, um, you know, once I got that email from John Davis, I, I was just uh, I, I'm such a huge fan of David or Russell's films. Uh, I was just um, you know chomping at the bit to to um, to do the movie. I mean, I was desperate to do the movie. I, I that was like that that. That email and subsequent phone calls were like a dream come true. So, um, where I'm going with this is that I interviewed for the job and um, got was lucky enough to get offered the job. I took the job without having read the script, which I never do. Um, but this was a situation where um, where you know I I just knew that I wanted to work on whatever David O. Russell was doing because I think he's a brilliant filmmaker. Um, and, and it was really funny because I didn't even think of the script until I spoke with a, an editor friend later who said, you know, that's great. You know, you're going to, you, you get to, you, you know, it's fantastic. You're going to work with David O. Russell. Like, how's the script? And I said, you know what? I, I have no idea. <laughs> I haven't even <laughs> read it. Um, but <clears throat> once I got hired on the movie, uh, I did read it, and and it was amazing, and it, it had all sorts of. First of all, it was it was clear that this movie was going to be an epic movie. Joy was going to be huge, and um, it had all of these wonderful elements that David has in his movies: uh, great characters, um, amazing dialogue, um, great character arcs, and um, and a great humanity. You know, that's something I really admire about his movies is that, you know, he, is that he has this, like, uh, you know, he's very, even when his characters are kind of crazy, even when they're, when, when they're grifters, you know, he, he treats them very kindly, you know, and you see that they're real people. And, um, and that's something I think is, is not always easy to do. And I think David does that brilliantly. And so I could, there was a lot of that in the script, and there was a lot of time jumping in the script as well. So a lot of that stuff was already there. Um, but the other thing I learned, and I learned this early on from um, two of his editors, who, um, who his longtime editors, who he works with, Jay Cassidy and Alan Baumgarten, um, I learned that he really um, starts with a lot of detail and a specific intention, but he shoots um, to give more options in the editing room. Um, and, you know, his movies really are, um, you know, made in the editing room. It's like, it's like the, the final, editing always is kind of
kind of the final scripture he writes. It always has been, but but um, but definitely more so here, you know. And uh, and he he has a great relationship with his film editors, and and uh, he really trusts them and relies on them, and works very closely with them, you know. Um, so when I say options and footage, um, he. He isn't just a director who shoots a lot of cameras, a lot of footage. You know, he's not a director who hoses it down uh, and then puts it on the lap of the editors and expects them to make uh, something out of it. He really shoots with very specific intentions. Um, but again, he'll leave the door open for 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 um, for different storytelling turns, you know, or um, different creative moments. So, for example. He'll, he'll shoot scenes, and this is by design, he'll shoot scenes where two main characters are talking and there'll be a third character in there um, who will be participating in the scene. And then he may shoot the scene, the same scene, without that third character there, you know? And, um, and a lot of that has to do with, with story calibration, you know? He does that so that you will, as an editor, you'll have more options later on in terms of, um, playing certain emotional notes. Okay, well, at this point in the movie, do I want to have this character? You know, um, you know, we we might not. Oh, great! Luckily, he shot it both ways, so now we can do it this other way. And what's so smart about that is is to you know to someone it might seem like that's that's um, sort of undecided or, or misguided, but in the case of David, it's not. I, I he he's he's such, has such a knowledge of editing that he knows that editing is made up of pieces, first of all, and so he'll grab, he'll grab these brilliant little pieces. Um, but he also knows that, um, that when you write a, a script and it's performed by actors and then it's committed to film and then it gets to the editing room, he knows that, that, um, that, that things get changed in the process. Not only does dialogue change, but... Um, sometimes emotion changes, um, and the scene on the page often does not, you know, really resemble what you get in the dailies. And so he knows that, and knows that um, that means down the road um, you, you're very likely going to need more options to sort of calibrate. And so he'll he'll uh, you know he'll shoot stuff that way, and it's it's. Definitely, I mean, his movies are editor-heavy, editor um, and what I mean by that is that, um, you know, so much creative work is done with David and his editors um, during the editing process, so it really is, is like, you know, he treats his editors as kind of, um, you know, definitely as collaborators, but as, as, as writers. And um, that was one of the most wonderful things about the experience working with David is that, uh, you know, you'd, you'd be working, uh, you'd be editing, working uh, um, on some on some scenes, and uh, you know, either he would come into work with you, or 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 he might he might get, you know, he might get called into his office, um, and it would be, you know, you you one of his assistants would come in and knock on your door and said, you know, David's asking, you know, if all the editors could come in this his office and all the editors would come in. It would be, in the case of Joy, I was working alongside uh, three other editors, all 
amazing editors, uh, Jake Casty, Alan Baumgarten, and Chris Tellison. And, uh, and we'd all go in and, and we'd all, you know, David would, would, would pitch ideas for scenes and, uh, and, and he would want the editors to pitch ideas back. And, uh, and after we'd have meetings like that, we'd go back to our editing rooms armed with, um, with notes and, uh, and editing plans. Uh, and then he'd start making the rounds. He'd start coming, he would come to work with me on certain scenes. We'd work on things together, worked very closely, uh, very, uh, I mean, he, he has a photographic memory. Um, his photographic memory of what he shot, uh, he is, he, he, he really is, is, is very, um, decisive, uh, and, you know, he's just, um, you know, he's, he's always kind of firing on, on all cylinders. So he'd come work with me and then, and then, you know, we'd work together, he'd give me notes and then he would, he would move to the next editor and do the same thing, uh, and repeat, you know, and, and there's so many things to try that, that I think that's part of why he likes to work with, um, multiple editors, you know, because his movies are very, um, you know, they're, they're in large part they're made in, 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 the, in the editing room, you know. That's interesting. Is um, is each editor working on a different scene or sequence simultaneously, or is everybody working on the, the same scene? No. You're, you're all working on separate scenes. And so, you know, um, during Bailey's, uh, when I was on, uh, while they are shooting, I was on with uh, Jay, and um, he and I would just pick scenes as they came in. And, uh, okay, well, this scene got shot, so why don't you take this, or I'll take this. And then, oh, well, here's another scene that came in, and this connects with this other scene you cut. Why don't you take that so you'll have a good long run of several scenes to cut? Uh, but once shooting wrapped, and we were joined by Alan Baumgarten, um, David broke up the movie into sections, um, which is kind of how you work on movies anyways. You, you, you really break the movie up into separate reels, um, and it's really the, the most manageable way to work, um, so you're not always editing little scenes within a huge two-hour thing. Um, so we always kind of work that way. So David broke the movie up into, into sections the way he saw the movie, and, uh, and then he said, okay, well, who wants to take this? Okay, well, you know, Tom's already cut some stuff in section one. Why don't you do this? And Jay's already, he's already been working on a lot of you know, section four, so why don't you take section four? And he broke up the movie that way. Uh, and then when Chris Tellison, uh, the fourth editor, was brought on board, you know, they gave him other sections to cut. And so we would, we always worked separately on things, on our own things. And he would uh, give us notes on our specific scenes, our specific sections. Um, often he would call all the editors in um, to look at another editor's work, and we would all comment. Um, and uh, we would all talk about what we had just seen. And then that editor would go back and do notes on his own stuff. And eventually, things would move around, you know. Things would sort of shift. So um, we would hand scenes off to, to each other. So, um, you know, stuff that, that Jay Cassidy cut initially, um, you know, David might say, okay, well, Jay's working on this other thing, but I want to do... I want to do a polish pass or do some, I want to try something on this section. So Tom, why don't you, you know, why don't we work on this together? 
And, you know, and the biggest thing about working with other editors is that, um, you know, you, you really have to be truly collaborative for that to work. You know, it's, it's, it's not about the ego and it's never about, um, you know, who cut what scene. Um, you always try to be respectful, you know, you always try to like, um, retain someone's work, but at the end of the day, it's not about what editor cut what scene. It's really about, um, you know, trying to, um, make the best story, the best movie possible. Um, and David's the first one to say, you know, if anyone has a great idea, um, I'll take it. Let's do it. I don't care. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be my idea. You know, I'm, I'm happy to do whatever's best for the movie. And he really means that. Um, so I, I found him to be extremely collaborative and very, very respectful of the editing process. He loves his editors. And, and you know, that's, that's what makes it an amazing experience to work, to work on. Yeah, I, um, I had the opportunity to see Joy on uh, Friday night, and I really loved it. Wow. Um, you, I, you've seen it. You've seen the finished <laughs> product before me. Really? You haven't seen the film yet? No, because uh-huh. um, I, I mean, I've, I've seen, I've gone to screenings of it, but I have not seen the version that you saw because I had to, I was on the picture for about seven months. I had to leave earlier than I would have left because um, Damien Chazelle's film La La Land uh, pushed earlier um, in its schedule and ended up shoot, they ended up shooting earlier than we than we originally thought they were going to shoot. So I actually had to, uh, and I was already, um, I was already kind of obligated to do Damien's film now. You know, obligated makes it sound like I don't didn't want to do it. It's actually, I, I you know, <laughs> lucky to work on 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 both pictures. But um, but I already I you know I my schedule is already kind of locked in in terms of uh, doing Damien's movies. So I actually had to leave before uh, before the sound mix and before they finished picture cutting. So and uh, but uh, so you know more than I do. <laughs> Yeah, in fact, um, because it was on the Fox lot, they had a Q&A, and Jay Cassidy was there, and um, I'm, I'm blanking on the other oh, editor's Alan, name. Alan Baumgartner. Yeah, Alan Baumgartner as well. Yeah, um, yeah, and they, yeah, yeah. Yeah, those guys are, those guys are uh, just amazing film editors, and I always admired their work, um, and now that I've worked, you know, on one of David's movies, I mean, I and see... see the amount of work it takes and the skill it takes to put these things together, I, I, uh, I really, um, you know, I can't commend them enough. You know, I mean, their work on American Hustle is, yeah, I always love the movie, but, uh, you know, uh, afterwards getting to know them and getting to know David, I was like, wow, this, this you know, this is, you know, it, it became clear the amount of work that was done in the editing world, you know? And, uh, and and that's like, you know, that's very very inspiring. You know, when I first met uh, Jay and Alan, when when I got the job on Joy, I <clears throat> went over to um, Alan's editing room. I think he was working on Trumbo at the time, and Jay brought with him uh, on his laptop a scene that <clears throat> they had cut from American Hustle, and it was one of the opening scenes with Christian Bale, Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner, and uh, 
Shea Wiggum and uh, Bradley Cooper. And the scene took place in in in, uh, in a hotel, and um, you know it was it was basically uh, the scene kind of finished with uh, with um, someone pushing sliding a briefcase of money over to uh, toward Shea Wiggum and Jeremy Renner, and them rejecting it because they they could smell that it was a bribe and something was weird. So they showed me the scene, and it was a scene that I didn't exactly remember, but was familiar. And it was a it was a really well cut scene, a beautiful scene with with nuance and and, uh, and humor, and all these great um, character details. And and it was you know the scene was probably about like you know two minutes long or something like that. And then Jay showed me the same scene from the finished film, and it was like, you know, I mean, the scene was like 15 seconds long or something. It was, you know, it was, it was, it was basically the beginning of the scene, and then there was, a, you know, a great sort of cut to, you know, the same insert shot of this briefcase being slid over. And the point he was making was that when you work on a movie with David, you know, stuff that um, uh, is in the script and stuff that is there in your first cut may go through so many changes that, um, or it, w- it, it very likely will, will change and evolve so much that the finished product will almost not resemble what, what you had at the very beginning, you know? And uh, so he, he was really showing that to illustrate a point, you know? And, and the first scene completely worked on its own, was, was a brilliant little scene. Um, I didn't think there was a thing wrong with it, really, but it changed so much so that what you had at the end was exactly the right scene for for the movie. Um, and so, and and that's you know that's the way that um, that's the way it worked on on Joy, you know. And it's it's um, you know David's not even though he's a great writer, he's not precious about the script. He's the first one to throw stuff out if if he feels like it will be better for the emotion and better for the story, you know, and um, not all filmmakers are writers and directors are capable of doing that. Damien Chazelle is also very good at doing that, too. He's, he's, um, he's not, uh, he has no problem jettisoning things, even great things, if it will help emotion, if it will help a larger story. Yeah, no, I think that's a benefit of a filmmaker to really see it in perspective and realize that the the whole is greater than the sum of its parts in a way. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I was curious, uh, lastly, um, if there's a particular scene or sequence in Joy that you worked on that you feel the most proud of that really went above and beyond your expectations. Um, you know, I I was I'm proud of so many things that I worked on in the film. Uh, it, you know. I, it's hard to say because I, I know his movies change so much. They change and are shaped right up to the end. So um, you know, uh, you know, at the risk of um, mentioning, you know, the brilliant scene that I cut that, that isn't even in the finished film, uh, <laughs> uh, which you will know better. You can tell me right away because you you you've actually seen the final film, um, and my the version I saw was was uh, just shy of the final, but. Um, but you know, I, you know, I worked on. I remember working on uh, um, 
hard to say. Many scenes. I worked on on um, Mimi's uh, funeral scene. I remember. I remember doing some work on that, um, which was very, very. Um, I paused. It's, it's such a. Um, it's 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 a short scene, but it's it's such an emotional scene, or at least it was at the time uh, in the story. Um, I remember doing some work on. Uh, on, on the scene after uh, the funeral, uh, where where um, Jennifer Lawrence is is uh, having a very serious sit down meeting with her sister, played by Elizabeth Rome, and uh, with her father Rudy, played by Robert De Niro. Um, they're all wearing black. They're all in mourning. Uh, I just remember the performances in that were just um, stellar. I mean, Jennifer was so steely and. Um, and really, like, really reminded me of Al Pacino in Godfather Part Two, you know. Um, and I think what what really gives that, you know, that sort of stuff, the character that she becomes, I think what really gives that value is is that you have the arc and the breadth of her whole life. I mean, you see where she comes from, you see her as a little girl, and you see that she's a very different character. And uh, and that's something I think was really important to David is to show this. Um, you know, to show this this huge epic life experience that this character had, um, and uh, so I, you know, I I I love working on scenes that 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 you know hit those milestones uh, in in Joy's life. Um, I remember working on great stuff with um you know with uh, early on with Rudy and. Uh, Coming back home to Terry, um, and uh, you know them them getting in, getting back to their old tricks and getting into arguments, and you know he, he says that she's like a gas leak and all this amazing dialogue by you know by by David, you know it's just some hilarious stuff. But so I say, you know, I I, I worked on these scenes, but but also, you know, again this process of you know working. With David is not one where um, you know it's not one where you pick out a scene and and say this is you know this is my scene or this is the scene that I did. I worked on that those scenes. I worked on I worked on stuff at the end. Um, I worked on so many different scenes and all the editors did as well. So um, you know it's it's something that I look at and think of more collectively as is as our film. You know. Um, and uh, you know the film was was touched by so many different you know all the editors worked on everything at at one point or another in some sort of form you know um, so in a way you know my hope for the movie is that it feels you know less like this you know a bunch of scenes cut by individual people and more uh, of this you know. Uh, more as a whole, and more as this, uh, you know, kind of uniform um, uh, experience. You know, so the the hope is that, you know, the hope is that, and I don't think it was going in this direction either. But I think in any situation where you're working with multiple editors, um, I think you want it to feel like it's it's coming from one source. You know, I don't think you want to feel like you're cutting a movie where, um, or you're watching a movie where. Uh, it has a certain 
type of style in one section of the movie and then a different style in another uh, section. I think that's something where uh, you really want uh, all the editors to kind of be invisible in a way. And I think, you know, when you look, when you see, when you see some of the best classic um, movies that were cut by multiple people, I think that's, you know, I think that's, I think that's when it works best. So if you look at, you know, uh, Godfather one or two or something like that, where several people worked on these things, I think it, you know, it, or Apocalypse Now or, or, uh, or even Silver Linings Playbook or, you know, American Hustle, I think it, it feels like it's coming from one voice, you know, and that voice should feel like, you know, David or Russell, it should feel like it's, it's, it's like coming, you know, the emotions should feel like they're coming from these characters. So, um, so, you know, you'll have to tell me because you've seen the, <laughs> you've seen the finished film. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of, of every little thing that I, you know, participated in on that movie. Yeah, no, it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful film. It's probably my favorite of David's, uh, I must say. Um, That's fantastic. Yeah, I just think there, it just, I think he changes, you know, he's, sort of developed a certain style and I think it even evolves more in this film in a way I think it even steps up a notch it's really beautiful I definitely uh, recommend it <laughs> that's great well I will I, I will uh, I will you know I will be seeing it uh, very shortly and I and I resist I'll probably get a screener for it I resist seeing a screener especially screeners especially if that movie I'd like to see it on the big screen and, and, oh yeah with uh, the music and with the yeah, sound it's, I it's, mean David is such a he, he uses music in all of them. He uses it so brilliantly, and uh, and uh, everything. Um, and certainly, Joy is, is no, you know, no exception. And, and the other thing too is the thing I always love about his movies is that uh, you know they really defy genre. You know, do you, what do you call it? Is it a comedy? Is it a drama? Is it a dramedy? I mean, where do you put his movies? You know, and that's. But at the same time, they, they don't feel like they're, um, you know, adrift at sea. They always feel very uh, confident, and they kind of own their style, you know. But where do you put a movie like Three Kings? I mean, Three Kings, you know, Three Kings has, has, uh, has you know, has a funny scene with, you know, um, <laughs> with Mark Wahlberg you know, telling Spike Jones to, like, pull a document out of a guy's ass, you know? Uh, but in the same movie, you, you have you have a girl who sees, you know, her mother um, executed, you know? And um, it's, it's a comedy, it's a war film, it's both. I mean, I guess it's all those things. But, uh, but um, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a strange kaleidoscope, it's a collage. But, uh, but you know... But it does it, it. It tells its story and and plays these emotions so well um, that you leave it feeling like you've had a certain type of emotional experience. And in a way, it doesn't matter what genre it was, you know. And I think Silver Linings Playbook and American Hustle, you know, have some of that same thing. Um, you know, have some of that same genre ambiguity. You know, not not on purpose, but I think it's it's because you know David doesn't want to be restricted to certain tropes and genres. He's always trying to do something new um, and and unexpected. And uh, and that's the thing about Joy is he always said that he wanted to um, do something different, you know. He admitted this was out of his 
you know, uh, not the usual film that he would do. He was trying new stuff. Um, but it has the same key ingredients that all his films have, which is a sort, in my eyes, a, a sort of humanity. Um, you know, they're emotional, they're intense, um, there's humor in them. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, there's, there's, there's a, a, a liveliness to them uh, that I think feels um, very, you know, organic and real, you know, and that's something that I've always been attracted to about his movies. And Joy, Joy was, was no different in that way. Yeah, no, I uh, I love the film, and I think that's what I've always responded to with David's style is that not only is there um, he doesn't sort of pigeonhole himself into a genre, but there's such a, a looseness to the performances, and it 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 feels more real and vivid than most films, which just sort of go into like kind of a melodrama moment. He, I don't know, there's something the way he handles the actors, the performances are just they're perfect. They're funny. They're sad. They're everything. Yeah. No. I, I... Agreed, and and uh, and again, I think a lot of it is because he's he's uh, you know he's he's very kind to his characters. So you know, if you have <coughs> if you have a character like Christian Bale or <coughs> Amy Adams in American Hustle, you know, we see that these people might be grifters and they might be trying to make a buck um, and they might be deceiving other characters in the movie, but, you know, they're really good people at heart, you know? And, uh, and even though they, they kind of, some of the characters can drive you crazy and do crazy things, at the end of the day, they're not just, um, uh, they're not just bad, annoying people, you know, they're, they're basically like people we know, you know. Um, you know, you can see, you see what makes them tick, you know. And I, I think that's something that David's movies do really well, and, and that's that's something that I definitely saw in in um, you know uh, in the dailies of joy. You know, there was definitely um, an earnestness there that I thought was very sweet and very moving. And uh, and on top of that, you know, David wanted to add kind of uh, something magical, you know? I mean, there's something always magical in, in his movies, like Silver Linings Playbook and American Hustle, you know? There's something romantic, you know? Like when you see Amy Adams and Christian Bale, like in The Dry Cleaners, and, and they're, they're having an intimate moment, you know, in the middle of all these, um, you know, <clears throat> coats and the dry cleaners, you know, like sort of uh, rotating around them, around their heads. I mean, there's something very sweet and, and unusual and, magical about that and I think that's you know I think Joy was no different I think he really wanted to um, you know uh, how did he put it he, want, he really wanted to find or see the extraordinary in the ordinary you know and um, and that was something I, I hadn't heard him really say before you know when I, when I knew about his other movies he said it for this movie and but I think it applies to all his movies, you know. Um, and I think that's what makes them really kind of lively and, and special. And, and you know, it's it's you, you come out of his movies feeling like you've seen a story about um, about real people, you know. 
Yeah, well, I have a great appreciation for your work on Whiplash as well as on Joy, so I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk today. Thanks so much, Jeffrey. I really appreciate it, and, and so happy that you, you really liked Whiplash, and really happy you like Joy. I'm, I'm very excited to see it, and, uh, um, and it's just, yes, yeah, I'm, I'm happy you love both. Yeah. So. I'm looking forward uh, to La La Land. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's it's coming along great, and uh, it's going to be a very different movie than Whiplash. Um, you know, uh, hopefully La La Land will have its own kind of uh, magical quality to it. I think it does, um, and I think I think there's a lot of stuff in it that fans of Whiplash will love, and I think it also expands um, upon that, and you're going to see some some stuff that, that you that you really probably wouldn't expect from from the director of, of Whiplash. Because it has some qualities uh, from Damien's first movie, Guy and Madeline on a Park Bench, which was a, a kind of a brilliant little movie, 16 millimeter black and white cinema verite musical. Um, so if you ever get a chance to, to see that film, it's available uh, you know, on, uh, on, on DVD. It's a, it's yeah, I've seen uh, little scenes of that on YouTube, and uh, it has a great like romantic tone to it. Which I like oh, it's, yeah, it's 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 really great, and and La La Land has has uh, some of that quality, and then and then so much more. It's a, it's a much larger movie. I mean, uh, a much larger movie than Whiplash. Whiplash was this real kind of two-handed, intimate, um, visceral story, um, really driven by a certain amount of angst from from one of its characters. Um, this movie is more of uh, an experience, you know, set against the backdrop of, of Los Angeles. It's a love letter to Hollywood, to LA, but it's but at its core, it's really um, kind of a love story between these two characters, played by Ron Gosling and Emma Stone. Um, and it's just uh, just beautiful and big. And hopefully, hopefully people will feel that when they, when they finally see it. Yeah, no, definitely. I'm. Uh, I think Damien's one of the great new filmmakers out there. So he's fantastic. He's fantastic. I'll tell him that you said that. It'll make his day.